all in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter number 4. And in this series of all in, the thought behind this is that the first three chapters are really foundational in our doctrine. What is our salvation all about? What is it that God has done through Jesus Christ? And as a result of Jesus Christ in our salvation, we are now in Christ and we live life so differently. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians talks about the doctrines and the foundation. Chapters 4 through the end of the book, chapter 6, is the application as in the now what. So when we have some now what statements that we're going to look at today, we must go back to the early times in the book and find out what's the doctrine behind the application. Does that make sense? So it's all well and good me standing here and saying, the Bible says we need to do these things. And you go, so what? Let's go back to a doctrine in the Bible and find out what that foundation is. Because the goal for today is the statement that we're building upon from last Sunday. And that's the statement is, I don't have to live the old way anymore. I don't have to live the old way. This book was written to a real church in a real place called Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And this community had had absolutely a transformation. They literally, as an entire community group, were followers of an absolutely evil system of worship where they had prostitution and total immorality in this goddess worship that they had. And then the gospel of Jesus Christ came along and transformed that community. And now you have people who for generations earlier had lived a certain way and now they know Christ is their Savior and they are in Christ and now they're living in a new way. And there's always a barrier there. Anytime we seek to do something for God and seek something new and God is working in our life, in us and through us, there's always the temptation to go back and think about the old days. There's always a temptation to go back to the old ways. And the Apostle Paul in his writing in chapter number 4 is giving them some hope in the fact that they don't have to go back to the old ways because they're now in Christ. Now we can move forward. And the doctrine that we base this upon is in Ephesians chapter number 2. I told you to turn to chapter number 4. Go back a couple of chapters. Chapter number 2, verse number 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice there it says that we are are his workmanship we are created in christ jesus for good works but then it goes on and says we should walk in them that's the application how is it that we're to live now in this new life that we have in christ the challenge through the series is to connect and grow and serve not in my own strength not in your strength not in our abilities but in Christ. And that goes into every aspect of our church family. How do we connect and grow and serve? We don't do it in our own ability. As talented as we think we are, it all goes back to we connect and grow and serve in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
I want you to do something a little bit odd, and I'm trying to make it weird right now, but I want you, to, if you need to close your eyes, you can. Just don't fall asleep. Some of you told me you were tired today. Don't fall asleep. And I want you to think about a circumstance where somebody hurt you. When you were offended, either verbally or something physical that happened to you. And if you're anything like me, as I was mulling this over this week, your stomach naturally becomes a little bit tight. Your jaw may clench a little bit tighter. And you begin thinking about this circumstance, something that happened last week, or it could have happened decades earlier. And it's still fresh in your life today. That's what we're talking about here, talking about we don't have to live that old way any longer. Now that we are in Christ, the way we used to respond, the burdens that we used to carry on our backs, the, the, the guilt and the shame, because the people that have hurt us, there's other people, if they were thinking, they would probably think about a circumstance that you did in their life. And then you're that person they're clenching their jaw and their stomach's getting tight about. And so it goes both ways. We don't have to live the old way anymore. Now we get to live a new way. And our principle for this week is this. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And this week's principle is very simple. In Christ, I can live a new life. When you're thinking back upon those old times, do you really want to go back to those old times? Do you want to go back to those times when you were carrying your, your sin on your own shoulders? You were carrying around the guilt and the shame of, the, of your past? Now we are in Christ. The Bible says that we are made new. And it says in that verse, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the beautiful thing is, it doesn't take God by surprise. It says, which God prepared beforehand. It is already God already planned it out in our lives. It has not taken him by surprise at all. Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 32. We're going to, verse 31. We're going to get to that in, in just a moment. Then we're going to go into chapter number five and look at some verses. Now this is the now what? The application part. We, we have the, the foundation as in the doctrinal foundation is that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now we have some application. Now we're to live differently as a result. And then we're going to go back into chapter number five, verses one and two, and find out the challenge and the process that God has for us in, in our lives to live. Ephesians chapter number four, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, the old way, and wrath, and anger, and clamor. Clamor is a way of saying like physical fighting. And slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Go into chapter number 5, verses 3 and 4. And this passage continues on for a number of verses, but I'm just going to read two verses where it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude jokes, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but I read through that list, and the, honestly the first thought that came to my mind is, 
I can't do that. I can't do that in my own strength and ability. And you may think to yourself, well, we're in church. Of course, we're all holy. And none of us ever do any of these things that are wrong. None of us, and we have foolish talk of crude jokes. None of us, I mean, we're in church. We, we don't talk like that. But we look at that and go, in the, in the depth of our hearts, I want to live a new way, but I often find myself going back to the old way of living. The goal for today is to challenge us and to encourage us that we don't have to live the old way anymore. We're not following a set of do and don't rules. What we're following is a new way of living, the new life that we have in Christ. So how do we do this? How do I live a a new life in Christ? First of all, it begins with to admit the problem. You and I naturally in our own strength and own ability cannot live this new life in and of ourselves first of all we must admit we have a problem i'm going to go through this first part fairly quickly so i can get to the application which is the the second point first of all admit we to admit to acknowledge to accept the fact that we're not perfect this says in ephesians 2 verse 10 for we are are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God be prepared beforehand. In other words, that's who we are. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's stated as a doctrinal truth that you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have a purpose. And then it gives us the challenge that we should walk in them. You should live as we are. But there's some barriers to that. I was reading through a Bible commentary that had been sitting on my shelf for 15 plus years. and I've never opened it up before. And it's from the mid 80s. And it was written by a number of people that were professors and the president of the Bible college that I went to. And it's been sitting on my shelf for years, written in the mid 80s. And I pulled it out because it was talking about Ephesians. And I was flipping through it, and this quote, talking about some barriers in our life. A serious mistake made by many Christians is to take their moral point of reference from the world rather than from Christ. Since the world is getting farther from God, if we take our point of reference from the world, it means we too are getting farther away from God. That was written and published in 1985. How far has our world gone in the last 36 years? We've progressed along farther away from the Lord. There's barriers. It's very simple. We have the barrier of fear. We all face barriers in our life. We have the barrier of fear. We have the fear of others. If I begin living the new life and the new life in Christ, what will other people say about me? What will other people think about me? We have the fear of rejection. If I put myself out there, people may find out who I really am on the inside and then they'll reject me. Let me encourage you. Our church is filled with some absolutely wonderful people, but none of us are perfect. And all of us are far from perfect. And so therefore, we, but we have the fear when we step forward that we'll be rejected. We also have the fear of pain. 
Uh, pain can be physical pain, but more of the pain of discomfort. Either the pain of stepping out and doing something that makes you uncomfortable. It's honestly wonderfully terrifying. And I say that in, the, in a positive with a scary word behind it. Wonderfully terrifying to serve God. Just take those steps of faith. Just step out and say, I'm now going to live a different life, this new life in Christ. We have a number of doctors in our church. And so I say this with a smile on my face. But anytime you go to the doctor and the doctor tells you, you're just going to feel a little bit of pressure. You know what that means? This is really going to hurt. Watch out. And they jab the needle into you. You're going to feel a little bit of pressure. This, but a pinch. Well, in the Christian life, we're not going to make it seem like there's no problems. It's never going to hurt. When we step out, it's uncomfortable. We have fear. We often experience pain. We also have the barrier of the fear, the vulnerability, or the lack of control. Earlier this year, I took an acrobatic flight out of Jandicott Airport. It was my birthday present. It was a lot of fun going upside down and all around with this, looked like a 12-year-old pilot. He was flying around going all these incredible things. And honestly, I had a wonderful time. The scariest part, though, and I'll, I'll readily admit this, was the fact of absolutely no control. He said, hold on to the straps and just hang on. And we did some different things. I had no idea whether he was going to go left or right or up or down. He had no idea. It was the lack of control that made it actually a little bit scary because if this guy, something happens to him, I mean, we will crash in the ocean. We have the fear that becomes a barrier. We also have the barrier of comparing ourselves to others. The barrier of comparison. When we compare ourselves to others, we sometimes compare ourselves in the positive or in the negative. We think too highly of ourselves, which becomes pride, or we think too lowly of ourselves, which, which is not godly either. It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. In other words, be realistic. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. When we overvalue ourselves, we actually begin to follow pride that actually Satan himself had. When Satan stood before God, he made the statement as recorded in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14. It says, this is Satan talking. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. We think too highly of ourselves, and that becomes a barrier to living this new life. When we compare ourselves with others and think to ourselves, no one is as good as me. The other side of that is we undervalue ourselves. When we undervalue ourselves, it becomes, with, with we feel inadequacy. And with that inadequacy, uh, with the Olympics coming along, and something I was thinking about, there's people that started on day one of the Olympics, event number one of the Olympics, and they're already out. And they didn't make it past the first round. And I'm not making fun of them. And they may think of themselves like, well, because I didn't win a gold medal, I guess I'm a failure. 
On the other side of it is they got to go to the Olympics, which is amazing. They got to represent their country. They got to be the champion of their country. But then they go to the Olympics and they're out in the very first round. And someone had to be the very last person on the list. We celebrate the gold medal winner and the silver and the bronze. But we remember that sometimes when we compare ourselves to others, we undervalue ourselves and think to ourselves, well, if I can't be the best and I can't be the gold medal winner, I'm not even going to try. How many of you would ever have played sport if you had to be the very best? None of us would have. So therefore, in a similar way with the spiritual life, we live the spiritual life not overvaluing or undervaluing because we're not comparing ourselves to others. We're simply living in Christ. When we admit the problem and we move past the barriers, we can move into belief. We admit there's a problem. I have a problem in my life and I must live in Christ. We go past the barriers. Now I'm going to live in belief. Go back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. It's not that lengthy of a passage, but it's talking about our salvation and, and, and how it took place in our salvation. And when we understand that it's simply by, and I want you to look for the word mercy and look for the word grace as I read through this passage. And as you see this, we will begin to understand that the barriers that we often face with fear and with comparison, and there's a whole long list of other barriers that we face, we can turn this back and realize that our salvation is not based upon ourselves, but it's totally upon Christ. Let's read verses 1 through 10. It says this. It starts off with pretty negative. And you were dead, that is spiritually dead, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse number four gives us a positive. But God, being rich in in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." so that at the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse number 10 again, which we read earlier, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The goal is this statement. I don't have to live the old way anymore. Now we get to live the new way. First point was admit the problem. Admit that there are barriers. Allow that to, to, to develop into belief. Belief in God through Jesus Christ. And then now we realize that there's a list of a new way of living. 
As I read those, that list earlier, the end of chapter number four into chapter number five, we came to the conclusion, I can't do that by myself. And God says, I know you can't do that by yourself. And that's why we have recorded in the Bible, chapter number five, verses one and two. Thank God that we don't have to do this on our own. And we simply need to admit the problem. And then secondly, submit to the plan. God has a plan for our lives so that we don't have to live the old way anymore. Chapter number five, verses one and two says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This plan that God has for us has two points. And these are I get to statements. These aren't you have to statements in order to earn salvation. That's not what we're talking about today. This is the now what. This is because I know Christ as my Savior, because I now am living a new life, I get to live differently as a result. What do we find here? And to be honest with you, I'm just scratching the surface of this passage in all that we could be talking about. First of all, we see this. Imitate God like a child. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Like a child simply means with the humility to be taught. The humility to be taught is something as a parent I really enjoy is particularly when my children were young, it was far more evident. I have one that's still in primary school. The other two are in high school. I know I look so young, but yes, I have children that old. They are still watching us and they're still imitating us as parents. But when they're young, they're far more obvious. You're standing there in the bathroom, you're teaching them how to brush your teeth, and they're sitting up there watching you how to brush their teeth, and they're sitting watching, and I'll make, I'm not making fun of my son, Caden, because this is a good thing he used to do. He used to go and stand next to older boys, you know, like as a three-year-old. And the, and the older boys, because they're sloppy teenagers, would be standing there like this, or however, however teenagers stand, standing there in, in whatever cool pose they have. My son, Caden, as a young boy, three-year-old, walk up next to them, and he would watch them. And as a parent, sitting back and watching was just cute. And that's why I get to tell you cute stories about my kids. If you talk, then you get to tell cute stories about your kids. And he'd sit there and watch them, and he would study them, and you could see him begin to fold his arms like they would stand and begin to stand like that. And now he's the cool teenager, so other kids are watching him now. So how to watch how Caden stands. He stands very cool. We become imitators. In order to imitate, you have to have the humility to learn, but also you have to be watching. Let's watch what God is doing in the world around us. How is God working in our life? How has he transformed and changed our lives so we can imitate him? Obviously, there's things that God does that we cannot imitate. God is the creator of the universe. But we can't imitate that. But there's things that God is doing in our lives and in us and through us that we can absolutely imitate the positive attributes of God. This is like a child. Let me read something for you. And as I read this, be the quote will be on the screen. It's a quote by a man named Albert Barnes. Because I want you to guess when this was written. The meaning is, 
as those children which are beloved follow the example of a father, so we who are beloved of God should follow his example. That's pretty obvious. What a simple rule this is. And how much contention and strife would be avoided if we followed. If every Christian who is angry, unforgiving, and unkind would just ask himself the question, how does God treat me? It would save the trouble and heartburning which ever exists in the church. Do you know when that was written? It was written by Albert Barnes in the 1830s when he wrote this commentary on the New Testament. Almost 200 years ago, he was writing about this new life that we live and the fact that as churches, if we could implement this, imagine all the heartache we would be saved from if we could just live this out. Imagine now, 200 years later, we're still suffering from the same issues and same problems. But let's ask that same question that Albert Barnes asked. How does God treat me? I'm just going to use one point and talk about God's love for a moment. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, God is talking to Israel. He loved Israel. Israel, through the course of their history, followed God, would not follow God. Followed God for a generation, then not followed God. And God continually brought them back. He says, I love you. I care for you. And the prophet Jeremiah was during a time in Israel's history when they were far from God. And God was bringing judgment upon them to bring them back to him in the love. And he said this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. The most famous verse in the Bible talks about God's love and it became an action behind that love. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. If you haven't memorized it, I mean, challenge you, read through it enough time so you memorize it. But as I read it, I want you to personalize it. So when it says the world, I want you to put your own name in there and make that personal. For God so loved the world, put your name in there, that he gave his only son that, and put your name in the whosoever, that if whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When we begin to personalize that, we recognize that we can be imitators of God because God loves the world, therefore we should love the world. I can't die for the sins of the world, but I can share God's love with the world. There's some powerful questions. These are listed in your bulletin that we can begin asking ourselves when we begin to seek to imitate God. Now, I've just scratched the surface and used one attribute. There are hundreds of different attributes of God and things that we can begin to discover and imitate about God. But as we begin to think about that, how does God treat me? We can ask ourselves the questions of, God, what do you want me to do? It's not Pastor of the church, what do you want me to do? The church, what do you want me to do? It is God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to be? God, what do you want me to give? Where do you want me to go? What truth do you want me to tell? Who do you want me to forgive? In other words, is there a person that I'm harboring bitterness 
against, that I need to forgive. God, will you bring, please bring that to my mind? How do you want me to encourage others? And there's an underlying principle that we share often within our church family is we see where God is working and we seek to join him in that work and that imitating God just like a child. There's no way that we can live this new life in our own strength and our own power Therefore, we must go back and imitate God. The next thing he, that the Apostle Paul writes here is not just to imitate God, but to walk in love like Christ. The very name Christian means to be like Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And it goes on. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you study the book of Leviticus, particularly the first three chapters, it talks about the sacrificial system in the Jewish sacrificial system. And it says that those sacrifices are a sweet-smelling savor to God, and they're well-pleasing to God. And that's a reference back to these sac- the sacrifices that the nation of Israel was commanded to make. But how did Jesus loved. He loved sacrificially and willingly. Jesus loved the unlovable. Luke chapter number 19 tells the account of a man named Zacchaeus. If you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And if you work for the ATO, we love you. But in ancient times in Israel, you were not loved by the people. As a result, basically, you're a Jewish person working for the Romans. So you are a a traitor to your people, and they were known as being dishonest, where they would overcharge taxes and, of course, pocket the money themselves. Zacchaeus was not a very tall man, and the crowds of people were gathered around, and Jesus was passing through Jericho. And so he climbed up a tree, And as Jesus walked along with all these hundreds and hundreds of people gathered around, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go have dinner at your house. So Zacchaeus comes down and they have a meal together. And then it says this, verse number five. And when Zacchaeus came to the place, he looked up and and said to Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Go down to verse seven. And when they saw it, they all, and this is all the other people. Can you imagine all the other people there that are, that are good Jewish people, that are law-abiding citizens, they're not tax collectors. Their attitude was they all grumbled. He has gone into, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Verse 9 says, And Jesus said to him, Today, this is t- talking to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is absolutely an incredible story. It's even more powerful when you realize the time frame of what was actually taking place in the life of Jesus at this time. Jesus had been, of course, born. He lived his life until about 30 years old and then began what's called his public ministry where he called his disciples and began to teach, perform miracles. Thousands of people followed him. And now he's walking toward Jerusalem. Do you know what's going to happen in about 10 days' time from this account? Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross. He's walking through the city of Jericho on his way toward Jerusalem. 
all these hundreds of people are shouting out and clapping and, and looking forward to seeing Jesus. And Jesus finds the most hated person in the entire group and says, I am going to, in a sense, not focus upon everybody. I'm going to focus upon you. Jesus had all of the other things in his mind that was going to happen in the next week. The fact that he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be killed on a cross. He was going to have the sins of the entire world upon his shoulders. God was going to turn his back on Jesus for the very first time in all eternity. I'm going to look at one person and say, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That's the sort of love that Jesus had when he could have loved the thousands. But he says, I'm going to focus upon you as an individual. That right there is he loved the unlovable. If you want to study more about love, study 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and study about love and begin to apply that to your life. The next thing we find is that Jesus prayed prayers of God's blessing upon those people that were hurting him. When Jesus was on the cross, about 10 days after meeting Zacchaeus, Jesus has been crucified on the cross. And the account in the book of Luke, chapter number 23, lays it out, the fact that it just says he was crucified. And if you've ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and studied out the crucifixion, it's absolutely horrendous what physically takes place in a crucifixion. He's been nailed to a cross next to thieves. And he cries out a prayer. Now, if there's any other time, and I'll talk from purely a human point of view right now, if there's ever a time when it's okay to be self-centered and focused upon yourself, it's when you're being murdered. When you're being killed, I think it's okay to think about yourself. When you're physically in pain and you're going to die for the sins of the world, you're on the cross, and what was Jesus' response? It says on the screen, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. People that were murdering and persecuting Jesus at that very moment were being prayed for by Jesus, saying, God, I love these people so much. As they're physically crucifying me right now, I love them. How do we apply that to our life when we're to love like Christ? Jesus was living out a teaching that he taught in Matthew chapter number 5. Teaching that when you read it, it's so easy to read. And we all will agree, after I read Matthew chapter 5, that we'll read it and go, absolutely, we should love our enemies. But then Jesus actually put it into practice in the most difficult time imaginable. That's where we can begin to apply this to our lives. This is the teaching that Jesus had in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He says, pray God's blessings. Now, Jesus taught that, what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. That's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. The very early times of ministry, he's teaching, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And then at the very end, He's on the cross living that out in a very practical way, praying for those that are hurting him. How can we live that out in a practical way? In the beginning, we uh, encourage you to think about a person that's hurt you, whether physically or emotionally, and they've hurt you, and your stomach get, begins to become tight. Your jaw may clench, and you may be rehashing some of those pains of the past, but we don't have to live the old way anymore. Now we get to live the new life. 
So we're to imitate God and show God's love. And we're to love the unlovable, those people that have hurt you in the past, maybe still hurting you, and they don't even remember what they've done to you, but we've been carrying that around. My challenge to you is to live the life that Jesus lived and live the love that Jesus lived. So when that person comes to your mind, rather than clenching your jaw or allowing it to to, to build up with bitterness, turn it around and say, God, I'm going to pray for God's blessing upon that person. God, will you please bless them? Will you protect them? Will you help them to know your love? And begin to pray God's blessing as opposed to praying, because we can easily say that pray for that person. God, will you please curse them? Will you please hurt them the way they hurt me? But worse, that's not what we find at all. We find forgiveness and love. And how do we make this practical in this new life? How are we to be imitators of God and walk in love like Jesus Christ? Is We have to make this practical, otherwise it's just head knowledge. So my challenge to you as we go out this week is when you have opportunities to have bitterness and wrath and clamor and just physical fighting and slander, you have malice, all these things that we listed through, you have an opportunity how you're going to respond. Rather than responding in the natural old way, let's respond in the new life because we don't have to live that way anymore. Now I get to turn it around and to make it practical. I encourage you to pray. There's some people in my own life that have hurt me in the past where I have different, this is, is going to sound weird, but this is just being, being transparent. There's a particular doorways that I have that I prayed for these people. At, every time I walk through the particular doorway, and I wouldn't avoid that doorway to be so I wouldn't pray for them. I would pray for this particular person, pray God's blessing upon them. And I had to pray for them without exaggeration for a couple of years. Every single time I walked through that door, which was multiple times a day, it would come to my mind, pray for this person. And you know what happened over a course of time? I no longer felt bitterness ab- about that situation. God removed that. It took a while, but God allowed us to replace it with love and take that bitterness away. Why don't you stand with me as we close in prayer? As we go out this week, as we, as we close and pray even right now, I want you to begin thinking in your mind, people that have hurt you, that you can begin placing the principle of praying God's blessing upon them rather than living the old way. Let's pray together.